2 Peter 1, verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you, were, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. And Father, we come then once again before these words that you have given to us and bring to us and plant in our hearts the truth that these words carry and change us and transform us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, our living Savior and Redeemer. In his name we pray. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we consider tonight the principles that inform how we think about the doctrine of sanctification, living the Christian life. What, what happens after faith? We're saved by grace and through faith. And, and what happens after that? And there are various places in Scripture to which we may go. We consider here in Second Peter just briefly as we close our Lord's Day together. Imagine that there's a young man whose dream it has been since his early childhood to be a soldier, to enlist in the army the first day that, that he can. So after he finishes all of his necessary school, he goes to take his physical exam to see if he indeed may enlist and go to training and to boot camp. He passes his physical exam is very joyful, very happy. He has waited for this his entire life, but as he enters boot camp, all of that excitement, all of the talking about it day after day after day translates into him being very lazy and weak and being a drag on his entire unit. He had grand dreams about being a great soldier, but he will ultimately be unfruitful and ineffective as one because there was a disjointed nature between what he wanted to be, what he talked about he wanted to be, and what he 
truly was. And in the life of a Christian, what we need to avoid is that disjointed nature between confessing Christ and living out the life to which God calls us. These things need to work together. Yes, we are saved by grace, but God's grace that works upon a human heart is dynamic. It forms us. It shapes us. It causes us to live for God and for His glory. We have been made to be children of God. We have been adopted into His family, and thus we need to to live according to the the family rules. I may say to one of my children, if they go to school or go to be at a friend's house, I might say something like, remember that you're a Svensson, and hopefully I've taught them uh, in their life that certain expectations come with that. In a much larger way, we're part of the family of God. We are Christians, and there are things that that come with that. Not only are we adopted into his family, but we are, we are enlisted, we are enrolled as soldiers in, in the Lord's army. And how unfitting would it be as members of the household and soldiers in the army to live lives that have nothing to do with the actual reality which God has uh, implanted in us with our faith and being united to Christ and being members of his kingdom. Maybe you not be ineffective members of that kingdom. The Bible calls us, and it's very clear that there are so many places you can go. The Bible calls us to grow up into maturity in the Christian faith. We are to grow in knowledge, in grace, in faith, in hope, and in love. We begin as infants in Christ. One of my uh, favorite Presbyterian pastors says, all baptisms are infant baptisms, right? Because it's always the beginning of the life lived Uh, before God and through the power of Christ. We all begin as infants in Christ, and we are to grow up to mature adults who think with, with wisdom, who live with godliness, who are generous towards others and sacrificial towards them, who operate with a full and developing understanding of all that God is doing in us and what He calls us to do. We're called to grow up in the Christian faith, to mature and to grow. Take, for instance, just a couple of passages. Ephesians 4 says that Christ gives the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Grow up to maturity and fullness in Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Colossians 1 says this, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 1 Corinthians 14 says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Hebrews 5, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature 
for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, we need to have balance with this. And I'm sorry, kids, that we read a bunch of verses that say not to be children. There is, of course, a way in which we are to be like children. You, you provide for us the, the wonderful picture of faith and reliance and trust in the way that a child trusts his mom or his dad. And there's some balance that we have to give to this too because as we think about growing up in the faith and becoming mature Christians, the temptation will always be to kind of think about our own growth and to say that, that we have caused this. And that's never what we can do. We can never do that. We are always to be growing in repentance. We are always to be growing in humility. We are always to be growing in reliance upon the God who strengthens us. How? By His grace. You know, a beautiful picture that we have in Romans 5. What is kind of the, 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 the mantra of the Christian life? It is this, that grace reigns. By Jesus Christ, we are welcomed into this grace in which we stand, and we stand and live in that grace. Thus, that's, that's the, the currency of our Christian life. That's how we live. That's how we operate. That's how we grow. We grow by God's grace. It's always His benevolence. It's always His doing. And yet, as we attend to the things that God gives to us, as we come before the Word of God, as we attend to the worship of God's people, right, the public worship of God's people, the public prayers of the saints, and our own private seeking after God in word and prayer, He causes us to know Him more and to love Him more. It happens to, in varying degrees with each person to be sure. There is no uh, perfect and kind of straight formula by which we we. I uh, see this happen in our own lives. But the Lord does expect that we, as we read in 2 Peter, make every effort to have a life adorned with goodness and godliness, also alongside our confession of faith. We do it by grace. It's not in our own strength. It is in Christ and God's grace. And Christian maturity is also something that you would see if you knew a, a mature Christian, what would they be doing? They would readily admit sin. They, they would be eager to acknowledge their faults. They would embrace weakness because, as Paul says, when we are weak, then we are strong. So yes, to grow up into mature manhood, but to grow up in humility and repentance and reliance and to always lean on the Lord and His grace. So just a couple of things to, to think about from 2 Peter tonight. First, in verse 5, he says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement to your faith. Well, for what reason? For what reason? What, well, what is the reason that, that Peter uh, points that out, that we should make every effort to fill our lives with these things? Well, because we are in fellowship with God. It's the, the reality of, of what we've been made to be in Jesus Christ. If you've been welcomed into the family and enlisted in the army, and as 2 Peter chapter 1 says, partakers in the divine nature, which doesn't mean that we uh, become divine ourselves. It means that we commune with God in Jesus Christ and experience the blessings of being joined to Him in covenant and in spiritual reality of being united with Jesus Christ. That is the way in which we partake 
and commune with God. And it's for that reason that we are to make every effort. Why? Because if we are made to be God's people, if we have been joined to Him in this close covenantal reality and relationship, how unfitting would it be if there were no attendant reality in our lives about how we actually live? To be brought close to the holy God, the one who is eternal and unchanging and holy beyond our best thoughts of him, and for us to remain unchanged. So for that reason, you're God's people, and God is holy. Thus, you are to seek a holiness uh, as well. And we are to make every effort. This is a call to, to diligence. A Greek word here is a, a word which means diligence or haste. And Paul is saying, you make, or Peter, excuse me, is saying, you make every effort. I want to see diligence from you. He's saying, don't miss that, right? We cannot miss that. And Peter commands us to do something. Not just to make some effort, but to make every effort. We're to be zealous in our pursuit of God. We're to be zealous in our Christian life. Do not be slothful in zeal, it says in Romans 12. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And do you think about these things? And do you think about the grand things that God has called us to do in Christ? So what are we to add? Make every effort to supplement your faith or to add to faith, he says first, virtue. Here's what Calvin says about this, this verse. He shows what purpose the faithful were to strive for. That is, that they might have faith adorned with good morals, wisdom, patience, and love. Then he intimates that faith ought not to be naked or empty, but that these are its inseparable companions. Virtue prudence, temperance, and the things which follow, that they may be added to your faith. If you have a friend, and uh, your friend buys a home, and you go to, to see this house, maybe it's closing day or just the day after, you're going to this house, and what are you expecting to see? You're expecting to see a house that is probably very empty. You're expecting to see a house that probably has a lot of things that need to be shored up, you know, this project or that project. But it's a very exciting time. You get to walk through and you can imagine with your good friend all of the things that this house might come to contain and to hold one day, not only stuff, but, but memories. Imagine going back to that house six months down the line, a year down the line, and imagine that it is the same exact way that you saw it on that day that you walked through. There's something unfitting. You see, it's the exact same way both times you visit. The one time it feels perfectly right and natural. The next time it feels massively off. This house ought to have been filled by this time with furniture, with food, with kind of a gentle touch to sort of uh, help it feel like it is home. And there's something, there's a parallel there to the Christian life. Someone, an adult convert comes to faith and professes faith in Christ, a very exciting time and a, and a blessed time. And uh, as God's people, we would come alongside this person, we would understand that there, go, there are going to be rough edges. And there's a sense in which we even rejoice in that because we, we see God's work and we see uh, what He is doing and calling this person to faith. We rejoice. 
And imagine a couple years down the line, it seems that nothing has changed. You see, it's the same kind of thing. In one instance, it feels very natural, and and in another instance, it feels very unnatural. Our faith is to be attended to with a life of godliness. And that's what God has created us to be. And that's what God's truth does. Truth is not just brute or bare facts. God's truth is dynamic, right? It doesn't do nothing. It gets into us and it, it forms us and it, it causes us to live in certain ways. And you see Peter say just that in this passage. In verse 9, he says, for whoever lacks these qualities, whoever doesn't have this attendant life in some sense, now again, to be sure, varying degrees in everyone, But whoever doesn't have these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now that's fascinating, isn't it? That Peter points to the aspect of the gospel that is forgiveness of sins. And he's saying, if someone doesn't have this progression in their life of godliness and obedience to God and submission to his will, what they have forgotten is the very basic principles of the gospel. They have forgotten that they are forgiven in Christ. It's an astounding thing that he says. We read in in Hebrews, you see also the Westminster Confession bring this up in the chapter on, on sanctification, that there is a holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And that's the holiness that God creates in his people who are trusting in Christ and seeking to obey him. And people always say, well, what's, the, what's kind of the bar we have to get past? Well, God's word doesn't give that to us. It doesn't work that way. But for all who know Jesus Christ and have trusted him through the gospel and have come to be one of God's children by faith, there is this holiness which God creates, a holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So what are these things specifically? the ingredients of of a holy life. There are really three basic categories of of sanctification. It It is our own seeking by God's grace to govern ourselves and our own lives, our thoughts, our affections, our actions. The way that we live towards our neighbor is seeking to be upright and just in the way that we live towards both our brothers and sisters in the church and towards all people. And then also how we live before God, our devotion to God, our seeking of Him. And that's really the, the, the command center of, of our Christian life. But Paul talks about this in Titus chapter 2, uh, that we are, uh, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We are to be self-controlled, by God's grace, seeking to suppress and to mortify the sins that are within us. We are to be upright and just. We are to to live in accordance with God's law towards all of the people around us. And we are to be godly. We are to seek a religious devotion and piety before God and a love, a growing love for Him. But Peter highlights a couple more, but they all fit into these basic categories. And the first one he says, add virtue, to virtue, add knowledge. To virtue, add knowledge. We are to grow in our knowledge of God. Jesus Christ as our 
great high prophet is the one who reveals to us and teaches us and ministers to us in an ongoing way that we might learn and we might know. Now, you'll see a lot of people divorce learning from practice. Are you one of those Christians who likes to learn or are you one of those Christians who likes to do? Now, certainly some people are more given to sort of want to delve deeply into theological things or scriptural things, and that's fine. But all people, all people are called to grow in their knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. Paul highlights this all over the New Testament. You see, in Philippians chapter 1, he says this, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. You see how he marries those two things together. So that you may approve what is excellent. In other words, he's saying, if you know what is excellent, then you can go forth in your life approving what is excellent and living for what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through him. Colossians 1, again, reporting to or greeting this church at the beginning of an epistle. So from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, Paul is saying, I pray for you always that you would grow in knowing God and knowing his will and abounding in spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? Because that is the foundation of the life that we are to live in Christ. If we know God, if we know his will, if we are being filled with wisdom and discernment and understanding, what will we do? Well, verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, Campegius Vitringa says that purity of understanding is what leads us to sound judgment. All adults in Christ will progress to this stage. Add knowledge to virtue. Add to virtue and knowledge. Add self-control and steadfastness. Self-control and steadfastness. This is the kind of the inward searching eye to our own life. How, How are we doing with mortifying our sin and our sinful desires and all of the the ways in which we sin against God in thought and word and deed? How are we doing as as it relates to temptation when temptation comes our way? Are we looking to the better things that are in Jesus Christ? Are we looking to the greater purpose to which he has called us? And those kinds of questions, self-control and and steadfastness. We are to seek to govern by God's grace our affections, our hearts in such a way that we can stand up to temptation. One theologian says this, it's it's the, the vigor and strength of mind to rebuff the temptations of the world and the flesh and Satan. If we can't govern ourselves, we're like a city without walls, right? The enemy will, will make his way in and do so easily. This is what Vitringa says about this as well. To the extent to which a person makes progress in purging his soul from faulty and corrupt affections and regulating his actions towards, uh, toward externals that serve our pleasure and in repelling the temptations that the flesh continually presents, to that extent, he has progressed in his spiritual condition, right? You govern your affections, you stand up to temptation, and you serve God with your life. That is... How, to what degree you are self-controlled. Steadfastness is, um, it's translated in the King James as patience, right? Steadfastness, it's the ability to, whatever comes our way, 
to say God is good, He's in control, even when we can't trace the lines of His goodness. We are patient unto the coming of the Lord. We trust that He is good and that He he loves us. Add to all these things godliness. We are to reflect the character of God as we commune with Him. We are to be so filled with a love for God that it is our great desire to be like Him. You remember that Jesus speaks these ways in the Sermon on the Mount, so you will be sons of your Father in heaven, showing mercy to those around you. A believer, one author says, a believer orders all his actions with devoted care so that he might please God in everything, carefully honor and worship him, and conform his will to the will of God. We're always, every day, right, we are living before the face of God, and it's the opportunity that we have in all that we do to honor him. And he sees all, and he cares about all. Godliness and a, a religious devotion and then brotherly affection and, and love. These are sort of uh, two aspects. The first one is, is very obviously, this is the Greek word Philadelphia, right, which is also a city on the East Coast where there's maybe not a lot of brotherly love, but that means brotherly love in, uh, in Greek. And so this is love our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? a, a, a rich uh, desire to show love to the family of God brotherly affection, and then generally love, right? Do good to all people, but also have this particular eye to understand that we are, we are a family, that we are God's people, that we love one another earnestly from pure hearts, that we seek to, to minister to one another, especially when, when it is needed. So all of these things, we could, you could preach a sermon on all of these, and Paul, or Peter says just that the, all of these are to be yours. Make every effort to add them to your life. Make every effort to supplement your faith with these things. And these are to be ours and are to be increasing, growing. Make every effort, he says. How? How do we fill our lives with these things? Well, as we've said, it is, it is by God's grace. And it is by an understanding that we stand in grace. And it is by an understanding that as we make every effort to add these things to our lives and to grow in all of these things, that we do so insofar as we put on Jesus Christ, insofar as we die to the old man and live to the new, the new that is created in us by the power of the Spirit, right? So each day we have an opportunity to Look to our God who has saved us, to look to Jesus Christ who is our Redeemer, and to look to the Holy Spirit who brings to us the blessings of Christ, and we are to to put off all that is connected to the indwelling sin that is in us, to die to those things and to put on the the purity and the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus was all of these things in Peter. All of these we find their their pinnacle expression in Jesus Christ. Jesus was godly, as Peter calls us to be. He had and has in all things a particular regard for his Father. No one lived on earth with a a regard to our Heavenly Father the way that Jesus did, with an intense desire to glorify him. He talks about that all of the time 
in his ministry. As our great high priest, he was fully consecrated to God and he, he served him. He was zealously committed to his Father's glory. Even so, through Christ, we are made what? Priests in God's house to serve him because we have been consecrated through the blood of Christ to then also live with a zeal for our Father's glory. Christ was upright. He was just in his dealings with men. He, he had and he has an intense desire to help others and to promote their interests and their internal well-being. Jesus was self-controlled like no one else has ever been. He had and has a comprehensive and flawless purity of thought, will, intentions, desires, and actions. He is truly, he is the Holy One of God, the righteous servant. He knew no sin. In Christ, we have a perfect example of stainlessness so that by the grace of God, we might copy it as much as our present state allows and purge ourselves of all filthiness of flesh and spirit and bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. That last sentence was uh, Vitringa and his great work on the Christian life. Jesus was self-controlled. He was godly. He was upright. And the Bible calls us to put on the new man. And Colossians says this, Put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. If you live by faith, seeking to honor God, seeking to put off the old man, and by the power of the Spirit and by God's grace and all that he gives to us in Christ, standing in grace, put on the new man. It is to put on Jesus Christ. And it is to submit yourself more and more to the reality of who he is as your Savior and as the one who, to whom you are spiritually united in faith. And to have the Spirit of Christ given to you, which means that the life of Christ is going to be manifest through you to put off the old, and to put on the new. 2 Corinthians 3 says this, We all, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We behold the glory of Christ, and we become like Christ. That's the Christian life. How do we do, how do we behold Christ? How do we make every effort to do so? Well, it's it's using what God has given to us, the means of grace, the word, the sacraments, prayer, public worship, uh, going to God and communing with him in word and prayer each day on your own as well. John Newton says this, the, the more we read of Christ's person, his offices, his power, his love, his doctrine, his life, and his death, the more our hearts will cleave to him. And we shall, by insensible degrees, be transformed into his spirit. Everything will at once remind us of our Redeemer and motivate us into his service. The more we read of him, the more we hear of him, the more we know of him, the more we meditate on all that he has done for us. Fill your life with beholding the glory of Christ by faith. And God will fill your life with godliness and Christ-likeness. 
to make every effort to add these things to our faith and to our lives begins here, seeking the knowledge that God gives to us in His Word of His Son and the salvation that we have through Him and His glory and His beauty, the Spirit that we have been given through Him, beholding Him more and more so we may die to the old and live to Him. Let's pray.